Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time once again. We are broadcasting almost live from a secure bunker deep beneath an old circuit city. It's Tavern Voices. I'm your host, Kevin King. And with me, as always, is our other host and my co-founding partner of the Maxine Waters Fan Club, Tyler Crawley. How's it going, man? Man, Circuit City and Maxine Waters in the same introduction. That's that's impressive. That's skill, my friend. That's that's what I'm here for. And since you made fun of me for calling you the co-host last week, <laughs> I said other host. So I'm trying to be fair and, and equitable True. and, and well, all of that. What I was saying is that you could just call yourself a co-host. Instead of us both being hosts, we would just be co-hosts, like co-founders kind of kind of a thing. Yeah, I don't know. No, no, you just you you don't like the co before the host. You're just not feeling it. It's too many. I don't. What's right? Why? I, I forgot. You pay your business cards. You pay by the letter, so you don't want to be throwing the co-host on there. So just the host, right? Exactly. Why? Why <laughs> add in all those extra letters when you can just be a host? There, there's going to be a letter shortage, and I'm not going to contribute to it. Well, real quick here, not to get off on a really weird tangent, but someone one time was asking questions like why, you know, in, you know, in, in England, do they spell colors with a U? And there's a couple other you know, words that are shortened in, in, in um, American English. And someone was asking why that was. And someone said that it was because back in the day, you know, newspapers charged by the letter for ads. And so they, sh- they, sh- they shrunk words to save money and they just became the way. And I didn't know if that was true, but it sounded awesome. So I don't know if it's true or not, but I, I like that idea. That's a very American <laughs> capitalist solution to a problem. I feel like they could have done more. I mean, we've seen with texting how short you can make words and people still know what you're saying. So I'm not sure if they tried hard enough. I'm not sure if they were being innovative enough with the English language. So I think they, I don't know. If, if only, <laughs> I was going to say if Ben Franklin had only invented T9 <laughs> in the 18th century. I know, I know. Who knows, who knows what could have been invented? Who knows how we'd be spelling words now? All right, speaking of things that don't make any sense, I'm not sure... But somehow we have ended talking. We've ended up talking about birthright citizenship. Uh, Trump has talked about this issue on and off since 2005. And in typical Trump fashion, he seems to retain less information each time he decides to broach the subject. His latest argument centers around the belief that he could unilaterally change our definition of birthright citizenship with an executive order. Now, good luck finding one serious legal mind that would back that up. Um, like I said, you're not going to find many, even though Trump continues to say they, every time they say I can do this, they say, I'm still wondering who they are. Now, if President Obama, he did make an interesting argument, Donald Trump did. He said, if President Obama can get DACA approved, we can do this by executive order. Now, Kevin, I still have my doubts as to whether or not Trump even knows what the Constitution is. On the other side, Obama was a constitutional professor with a Harvard Law degree. Shouldn't the media have been more shocked at Obama's stupid legal opinion than Donald Trump's? Yes. Um, We will get more into what's going on with the media, I think, in a little bit probably. And so this will all flow well. But I think you're exactly right that – Um, The media gave Obama such a pass on everything because of their innate bias that they just agree with what he's doing so they don't challenge it. And and so, yeah, they should have been questioning this over the previous eight year administration. And I think that's sort of the point that we've gotten to now is the reason the left is so afraid of Donald Trump 
is because of all of the executive power that they let slide under Obama. And I don't know if they realize that or not. Like, I mean, we, we've talked about this before. If Hillary had won and Hillary wanted to, you know, ban Southern states from ever voting or something by executive order, they would have championed it from their New York high rises. So I'm not entirely sure that they really get the big picture, but you're right. They should 100% have been uh, challenging the constitutional lawyer that previously held the uh, the Oval Office. Well, I, I just like because they're like, oh, Trump's so dumb. Like, what a dumb opinion. Like, where did he get such a dumb idea? And, and Trump's basically like Obama. <laughs> He's like, Obama is the one that gave me this idea. And everyone's like, well, no, but it's it's different because – this is, uh, you know, the Constitution and, and like in and, and, and Congress wouldn't act. And oh, that's exactly what Trump's saying. Trump goes, I want Congress to act on this, but it doesn't look like they're going to. So I'm going to have to step in. He's basically mar- making the same argument. Now, there is a problem with that because Republicans basically lost their mind when Obama did it. He said, I got a pen and I got a phone. And I can do whatever I want. And we were like, no, you can't. The Constitution clearly puts that power in. Co- I mean, it's true. Congress does have this power. The president has absolutely no authority whatsoever. But not only are the Democrats and the media having their back, but there are even some courts. I mean, let's face it. When when the Trump administration said we're ending DACA, there were courts who said, nope, sorry, injunction. We're not going to let you do that. So. What, what shocks me is not so much that Trump got this wrong. Like I said, I still don't know if Trump even knows what the Constitution is, but that Obama did it. And not only is his fellow party backing him up, the media backing him up, but courts are backing him up. So why why shouldn't Donald Trump think that he could do something unilaterally with immigration? Not only has Obama succeeded in convincing the media and his own party that it's OK, but some courts are backing him up. So, I mean, listen, you can criticize Trump all day long, and I love to do that. But in this case, Trump, I mean, has an argument like, listen, I'm just doing what Obama did before me. So if you're going to get mad at me, get rid of well, get rid of DACA. No, you're completely right. And that is that is what Trump does well. He's not a policy person. He's not an ideas person. He's definitely not a comms person. Yeah. Right. But he gets the game and he knows how to push the buttons and play people against each other, play their words against them. I mean, the, the, the things that he said in the debates with Hillary are what really fired up, I think, a lot of people in the middle by saying, hey, this guy is saying what I'm thinking. Because a lot of people don't like the, the partisanship games or the excuses that a lot of times come from Washington. So – what he's doing is just turning that on its head because he's he 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 gets it. He knows what he's doing and he has, I would assume, a fairly good memory or a really good someone feeding him a lot of this information. But I, th- I think that as much as I disagree with everything that he's doing and, and almost everything he's done and the way he goes about doing it, at the same time, it's kind of nice to see someone who does call them out and say, well, wait a minute, you gave a free pass to Obama or you let this slide or you did this or you did that. And that's all I'm doing here. I'm just he's pointing out their hypocrisy and really challenging, challenging them to take him on one on one. And they're not going to win that battle. No, no. I mean, the, the one thing that we know about Donald Trump is. You can't fight Donald Trump on his own turf. You will lose. It's like uh, now that I know Halloween's over, we can use sort of like the Freddy Krueger analogy. Like you can't you can't beat Freddy Krueger in the dream. It's his world. So you're just not going to win. And Donald Trump's like Freddy Krueger. There I said it. 
That's a great analogy. <laughs> I was going to ask you, Tower, have you seen the uh, the CNN interview yet with John Stewart and Dave Chappelle? I haven't seen it, but I saw the transcript and it was pretty interesting. It's it's really good. You have to take I think it's 34 minutes long. I sat and watched it yesterday and I thought it was great because um, John Stewart really points out that Trump has been actually really good for the journalism business. And he even uh, told the CNN reporter Christiane Amanpour, quote, you got to make money, too saying you've got to pay bills, someone's got to keep the lights on. And Trump is turning into clicks and quotes and driving people to newspapers. This this battle has been good. She, of course, pushed back saying that journalists don't really care about that and that that sort of information is for the bean counters higher up in the organization. However, today, the New York Times quarterly earnings report sent the stock surging. It's up more than 6% for the day. And this comes as a result of higher earnings, higher revenues, and higher uh, number of digital subscribers. Year to date, the stock is up over 54%, which is huge. For years now, we've been seeing how major newspapers have been going under. There's been warnings of the death of traditional journalism and all of this other sensationalism. So Tyler... My question is this, is the media alive and well despite its arch nemesis, Trump, or is this just a temporary blip on the radar and they're going to go back in the tank as soon as everything calms down? I don't think it's in spite of Trump. I think it's um, because of Trump. Um, I, they have this weird sort of symbiotic relationship where they both act like they hate each other. You know, Trump acts like he hates the New York times and he hates CNN and he, well, I think he might actually hate CNN, but he acts like he hates the New York times <laughs> and he acts like he hates the Washington post. And he acts like he hates, uh, you know, the, the big, you know, 60 minutes, CBS, all that stuff. But then he goes around every time I turn around, he's doing an interview with like these big media outlets. He's always giving New York times exclusives and Washington post and, and, you know, 60 minutes, he had that famous interview with Leslie Stahl. And, and, and it's like, wait, hold on. If you don't like these outlets, why are you going on? I mean, there, there are plenty of Republicans who do not go on those outlets. And the thing is, is that Donald Trump, despite what he says, loves the New York Times. This is a guy who grew up wanting to be part of the in crowd in New York. I mean, he did everything he could to get into Manhattan. He did everything he could to you know become part of the New York scene. And let's face it. In New York, is there any magazine more powerful than the New York Times? I mean, the New York Times is the paper of record, but in New York, even more so. And so he loves the New York Times, and so he wants the New York Times talking about him. And yes, he doesn't like that they say bad things about him, but you know what he hates even more? Is them not talking about him at all. I mean, that's one thing he picked up, you know, being in the tabloids. It's you know, you'd rather the tabloids say something bad about you than not talking about you at all. And so Trump loves when they bring, I mean, I think this whole immigration debate, the reason we're talking about immigration is because going into this election, there was a big, there are all these other issues, you know, looking at Kavanaugh, we were looking at how people voted. And if you notice, Trump kind of faded away a little bit. And then all of a sudden he ramped it up to an 11 and all we're talking about is Donald Trump's immigration. Is he too strong? Is, you know, that's all we're talking about is Donald Trump again. He may, he pushed himself into and he was already going to be there, but he made himself number one once again because why? I think he was concerned the papers weren't talking about him. So all of a sudden, hey, let's talk about birthright citizenship. I'm going to do this by executive order. Gets everyone on notice. He's back fighting with Paul Ryan again. I mean, all is right with the world in Donald Trump's eyes. He's getting talked about. The GOP establishment hates him. You know, it's like everything's right with the world. And so the media is doing is loving this, and Trump is loving it. 
and they both love each other despite the arguments that they hate each other. And it drives me crazy because I'll talk to people on Twitter and they'll say things to me like, Trump doesn't care what the media has to say about it. It's like, dude, he cares more than any president that has ever existed. If you want to see someone that doesn't care, uh, you could have looked at you know, George W. Bush. I mean, I think he cared, but he didn't let it bother him. Obama was obviously a huge baby. Every news outlet loved him except for Fox News and he couldn't stand it. And Trump cares so much. That's why he talks about it all the time. And so they both love each other. And I wish they would just admit it instead of pretending they don't. You know, it's like those 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 people you know who act like they hate each other, but secretly they love each other. It's like, guys, just come out in the open, admit you guys love each other, get married, and all will be right with the world. No, I completely agree. I mean, I think that uh, John Stewart points this out in the interview, which you'll you'll hear when you watch it. And you know, he says that the media is making it so much worse. I mean, they're fueling it as much as he is. They're going back and forth with this righteous indignation of no we are we are such the noble media how dare you say something against us whereas if they just put their nose down and reported the news and ignored his hurls uh there would really be nothing to this whole spat back and forth but every time he says something about the media they get upset right back at him and they just fuel this battle and ultimately though they are both the ones benefiting from it i mean if you want to be one of those people who talks about you know, how there's corruption in politics and different things. Look at, I mean, the media is how he became president. The unearned media time that he had throughout the primary was astronomical compared to any oh, other yeah. candidate. He covered completely back and forth. In fact, in the interview uh, on CNN, they play a clip of John Stewart making fun of Trump announcing. And they kind of ask him in hindsight, Right. Did you anticipate this is where we would be at? And he said, of course not. But the media put him in office. The media is fueling his popularity with the base. And I think it's even beyond the base a little bit, because as more and more stories come out of just petty things that either I mean, the handling of the Kavanaugh witnesses, they've come out more about NBC sitting on information about Swetnick and Avenetti. And I mean, it it it. It becomes such a such a narrative that people start to believe it. And it doesn't hurt him at all when he makes fun of the media, not once. And I think until they sort of pick themselves up and do some actual journalism along with the other um, opinionated things that seem to be going on in the media most of the time, then I don't think it's going to get better. But if this is fueling their stock prices up in an industry that has been in a nosedive for more than a decade, then I, I think that everyone's happy with what's going on. Oh, more than happy. I mean, who would I mean, the New York Times, these papers, I mean, they never would have thought that they'd be in this position ever again. And now the problem is, is, is this short term? I mean, once if Trump gets out of office, will the news cycle has has Trump changed politics forever or has he just changed it while he's in office? Will things revert back to normal? No one knows. I guess we're going to find out at some point. But yeah, I mean, everyone seems to be benefiting from this. I mean, there's there's little doubt that everyone is benefiting, benefiting from this current relationship. And it is really bizarre. I liked when John Stewart kind of called out the press, for, you know, because everyone always criticizes Trump and his ego. So they're like, oh, Trump's ego and and he can't take a little criticism. Well, neither can the press. That's the point that John Stewart made is that, you know, he attacks you guys and then they, you know, we're so, you know, what we're doing, you know, we're firefighters running into a fire and we're so noble and we're so amazing. And he's like, he goads you guys into basically not covering the facts of the story. And that's, what I think, what Stewart was upset about was he points out that, you know, you're you're pointing out that, you know, there's like birthright immigration. And so, 
he's clearly saying something that's not true. The executive branch has no power on naturalization. There's nothing. There's no way any court in the world would say that. But so what Trump will do is then he'll make fun of the media, and then the media freaks out about that. And we stop talking about the substance of the issue, which is can he do that? constitutionally no but now we're talking about oh donald trump said that the press is the enemy of the media and that's all they want to talk about because they get to talk about themselves and they love that more than anything else and trump loves it more than anything else talking about himself and it's just like this just insane awful um narcissistic circle you know what and everyone loves it and acts like they don't like it but they all love it they completely love it there's no doubt about that Oh, 100% without a doubt. And speaking of people who love themselves, the governor of North Carolina, Roy Cooper, or Ray, if you're Hillary Clinton, she likes to call him Ray, uh, he announced that North Carolina would cut its greenhouse gas emissions by 40% by 2025 under an ambitious statewide goal, like I said, uh, Governor Cooper announced earlier this week. With Cooper's signing of the executive order, North Carolina joined states like Colorado, California, and others, it's quite the team to be a part of, that have set statewide targets for reducing emissions of gases that are associated with global warming and climate change. The order commits North Carolina to adhering the 2015 Paris Agreement Environmental Treaty, the one that Trump pulled us out of. Cooper said he would immediately order state agencies to set an example by taking such steps as recruiting clean tech companies and adding zero emission vehicles to the state transportation fleet. Just to make note that all Cooper can do with executive order is take care of the government. So he can't force companies or anything else. Can't do that by executive order. So Kevin, the two largest sources of greenhouse gases in any state are typically trucks and cars followed by utility coal burning power plants. Does Cooper think that plugging cars into the coal-burning power plants is going to reduce carbon emissions? Probably. I mean, you and I heard Bill Clinton talk about that back in 2008 when he was stumping for Hillary. Um, Whiteville is where we drove yeah. to in college. Remember that? And he was talking about how we have to we have to save the planet by plugging those electric cars into <laughs> the coal-burning grid. Um yeah, I, I mean, I think so much of this is so nonsensical, but it's so, you know, it's it's so ingrained in this ideological battle between the left and the right that no one can talk about the the gray area or the, you know, if you're against Cooper's plan, you, you want the, the the world to be destroyed. And am I correct in saying that? Either Cooper himself or some people related to the matter were talking about how if they put this in place, it would prevent storms like Matthew and uh, yeah. and Michael and and um, what was the Florence? Is that that was the recent one? Yeah, the recent one. Yeah. Well, it's only been a month, and I have no clue what it was. But um, but yeah, weren't they talking about how it would would lessen the impact of of these storms somehow? Cooper f- reducing emissions in North Carolina would control the weather. Well, he, he, he made like some weird reference to it, um, and it's it just so bizarre. But that, that's a, this also goes back to what we were just talking about, this narcissism. I mean the whole idea behind climate change, man-made climate change I should say, is narcissism, this idea that we are controlling the weather by our actions. And there to me is nothing more ridiculous than Governor Cooper. Mind you, once again, the executive order only covers government actions – so we're talking – and I, I understand the government's big in North Carolina, not as big as other states. And there's, there's a lot of cars, a lot of yellow license plates we see all over North Carolina. 
But the idea that, okay, we're now going to all get electric cars and let's say somehow we're not plugging them into coal plants and so we actually are saving carbon emissions, that that somehow is going to stop these storms even though China is still <laughs> – they're still having to wear masks in China because of how awful they're polluting. But don't worry. North Carolina has stopped using gas-powered cars. I mean I think they've even talked to like environmentalists about this uh, who they've crunched the numbers. And they said if every single person in the United States started driving a Prius, every single person, the impact on the overall temperature and supposed climate change would be like one-tenth of a degree. And so just North Carolina government, the idea that that's going to have any impact whatsoever is so narcissistic, you can't even measure it. Well, and that's not even taken into account the the other – see, a lot of people when they talk about wanting government to do something, they don't look at what that then will happen in its place, right? There's always a ripple effect. So they don't talk about what's going to happen when you're going to have to put in charging stations for all of these pre-I, right? So – Who's going to pay for all of that, first of all? And second of all, where's that power coming from? Like you astutely said, from coal-burning power plants. So what good is that going to really do? Then you've got to talk about where are the batteries coming from? We've seen these awful um, you know, ore mining uh, mines. <laughs> That's clever. <laughs> all of these mines. In, you know, in, in third world countries where they're digging up all of the all of the components for the batteries and what impact that's going to have on the planet. So until we have this like water operated, well, then if it was water operated, you know, are we taking, you know, water out of other resources to then power that? Because there are regions and even in the United States where water control is a big issue. My point being, there's always going to be another problem right after that problem. And so you have to really address what's going on and look at it in a steady progression of cut back a little bit here, cut back a little bit there. Um, you know, does this mean that Roy Cooper is now going to uh, be against busing children all over school districts? Because that was their big plan for a while for equality in schools. But how much more fossil fuels has that been burning? Um, you know, so the, the hypocrisy is there. And is there a simple solution? No. Should there be changes? Of course. I think economically, we should be cutting back on what the government is spending on fossil fuels, if not for the planet, just for our pocketbooks. But I think we need to look at it holistically. I'm glad you brought up the busing. That's actually a good point. Um, because, yeah, I mean, <laughs> what, what is he going to do now? So I, I think all the Republicans should get behind you know, neighborhood schools and argue that it's environmentally friendly. And then see what see how yeah, the left has to argue. It. That's actually a really good argument because I don't see how they argue. Well, no, but it, it's it's a it, that's different, and that's okay. We're we're going to allow those carbon emissions because it's for the it's for the children. It's for the but their future is being destroyed because the rainforests are going to disappear because you bust them to school. Oh, I like that. I like that argument a lot. I'm going to steal that just so you know. That's that's what I'm here for. I just want attribution. Proper attribution. Mm, I can't promise you that, but I will promise you that I will be thinking about you when I steal it. Hey, that's 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 fair enough. But you know what else is really going to be impacting our children's futures, Tyler? I'd love to know. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought so. I, the dramatic pause was intentional. So as most people know, last week, the UNC president, Margaret Spellings, announced her resignation. In the wake of her exit, she will receive $500,000 for a research leave provision as well as a projected performance bonus. And then she will also have a $35,000 relocation check cut, according to a report by WRAL here in Raleigh. 
So even though board chairman Harry Smith said on last Friday when she resigned that, quote, we're not going to be in a rush, today they announced her replacement, Dr. William Roper. He will, of course, be paid her $775,000 salary with an annual retirement contribution of $77,500. Oh, and the possibility of up to $125,000 per year in annual performance bonuses. When he leaves, he will be eligible for up to $837,720 in a research leave uh, provision. And if all of that doesn't work out, he can go back to making more than 400000 per year as faculty at the UNC Medical School. Tyler, am I wrong in thinking these salaries and bonuses are just a tad outrageous? Or am I just stuck in the past when college administrators pulled in smaller six-figure salaries? Wait, who is the other guy that you were saying? <laughs> who is that guy? You, Tyler? What, Dr. Roper, the new uh, replacement? Oh, okay, that's who it was. Okay, okay. I was like, I... I, I, I yeah, he's, he's taking uh, Spelling's position, they announced yeah, today. Interim, even I saw though, that. Yeah, even though, and he'll stay, Yeah, right? I mean, yeah, well, we, we'll, we'll see. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's. I'll, I'll tell you, that there's nothing that drives me crazier than looking at, well, not only college administrators, but administrators, but also just in government in general, like these insane pension plans that we have. I mean, there isn't a private sector, there's not a private sector company in the, in the, at least in the United States, maybe the world that still offers defined benefits. No one does that because it bankrupted all these companies. Uh, I mean, and, and, and the ones that even there's still remnants of it. Uh, I mean, it's, they're, they're doing everything they can to get out of it because it's, it's, you can't do it. It's impossible. The math doesn't work. And yet government, not only, not only is continuing to do it, they're making them more generous every single year. I mean, there's a guy in North Carolina in, in Wellington here, uh, Billy Williams. I remember, remember that name, the ABC local, I don't even know what they are, the whatever, and he actually got found guilty of stealing taxpayer money to build a garage uh, or an apartment over his garage. He actually had the taxpayers in New Hanover County pay for that. He got busted and got fired, obviously, uh, which is crazy because the guy was making like three, four hundred thousand dollars and he couldn't. Yeah, you know, I guess he didn't feel like using his own money, so he used and the taxpayer he had his money. Son on the payroll as yeah, well. His son was on he the payroll. Who, I'm pretty sure that his son can't even spell his name. So, but he was making six figures. And so Billy Williams ends up getting busted, all that, but he's still getting his pension because there was actually a law on the there was no law on the books that said if you were found guilty of a felony, and it includes stealing taxpayer money, you don't lose your pension. So they passed a law, but you know you can't retroactively apply something. So this guy is still getting about two hundred thousand dollars a year from the taxpayers of North Carolina is paying this guy's pension who stole from those very same taxpayers. I, I I just the, these these benefits that we're offering are insane, and they're going to bankrupt our state unless we do something about it. And it's amazing that not only are we not doing anything about it, we're actually making them more generous. And yeah, I mean the numbers are just disgusting. There's there's no other way to put it. It's just it's fantasy land. It is fantasy land. And the worst part to close out, <laughs> at least for my part, um, the worst part is that it's not even going to like the essential people. 
it's not like, you know, the people that are working their butts off and, you know, people that are like fixing roads. It's like the people directing the people to fix the roads. It's the people sitting in offices all day who barely work, teach one class. Those are the ones who are bankrupting the system. It's not like the teachers in the classroom, uh, whether it's middle school or high school or college. It's the people outside of the classroom that really, if they all got, they all left, disappeared, just up and vanished, we probably wouldn't notice that much had changed. And they're the ones that are bankrupting the system. And that is what, to me, is really messed up. It's really messed up. And my problem is no one can look at higher education and say that it is working well. It is a broken institution. There are a lot of people out there talking about how, you know, some of these nonprofit and private institutions are really going to start making a big difference because you can focus more on uh, specific courses and certifications and applicable skills instead of this idea that you just go and pontificate on a college campus for four years and you leave prepared to do something after that. Because even when that argument is made, the administrators will tell you, well, they're not here to teach skills. They're here, they're here so that students can can learn things and 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 then if they go on and they don't get a job or they have an astronomical amount of debt or they're completely unprepared for the real world, that is not the responsibility of the university system. So I don't know what their responsibility is. And it's it's hard for me to think that this more than 200-year-old institution should not be revamped. But instead, we're throwing hundreds of thousands of dollars at individual positions within the system and nothing is changing. And I remember to tie this back into the media conversation we were just having, I can remember when I was interviewed by the student media at UNCW uh, regarding the chancellor's uh, at that time, Chancellor Rosemary DePaulo, who has since moved on from UNCW, um, even though she has a building named after her now, but <laughs> she she was making $300,000 a year and had a house provided for her and a car provided and all of these different benefits and, and perks that came along with the job. And I was mentioning this to the reporter and they said, well, our records indicate that she only makes 270000 a year. And I just looked at him and said, what difference does that make to quote Hillary Clinton? Um, what that you still don't think that's astronomical for the head of a single university to make a quarter of a million dollars a year. And now you have the, the head of the UNC system making, I mean, essentially a million dollars when you wrap it all up in, yeah. the, in the benefits and packages. And apparently the golden parachutes that the left is always so upset about when this, at least Goldman Sachs, you know, gave some people money to, to run a business or to buy a house. What, what, what is the, what is the head of the UNC system doing? So yeah, I'm with you, Tyler. I, I don't understand it. And I think it's completely out of hand. But what's going to change, right? Because if they start to cut this yeah. back, they'll just blame the Republicans in Raleigh. Well, yeah, they will do that. Um, yeah. And, and and they'll say, oh, it's destroying the schools. And the thing is, I have no problem with like, you know, now Chancellor Sartorelli here at UNCW or whoever making a lot of money if there's like a justification for it. Like they're going to save the school $5 million. So we'll pay you 750000 Well, that's cool. We actually make money on that transaction. But what I can't stand is that it's it's like the, these low level administrators who make insane amounts of money. Like I get the top dogs because, you know, running a school system, 15, 20,000 kids, 40,000 kids, like what's Chapel Hill, like 40,000, 50,000. I mean, that's yeah, a humongous, 
organization. Like you're going to want someone. So I get that. But what I can't stand is like the low, or like, like I said here, the new Hanover County ABC directors making a quarter of a million dollars, you know, $300,000 a year. That's no, that makes no sense. Like the guy is selling a product that requires no skill. Like you could put a, a um, me in that position. <laughs> I could succeed at it. You could put a monkey in that position and it would su- succeed at it. I mean, you're essentially selling something that everyone wants to buy. There's no advertising. The, the, mar- the, 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 the markets already exist. I mean, it, it's, there's no skill, but running a school system. Yeah, absolutely. But show me the value in it. Show me you're going to save us money. And then, Hey, I'm all for paying that person money. And then, Real quick, not surprisingly, uh, I think we've talked about this before. Kevin Williamson wrote a piece about this in the National Review and basically pointed out to your Goldman Sachs point that if I don't, you know, if I don't like Goldman Sachs's golden parachute policy, I divest myself from Goldman Sachs. I can't do that with government. I mean, I guess I can vote the people out, but I can't. I can't vote administrators at UNC out. So I guess I can hopefully get rid of some of the people and you know the state level, and then maybe they can get there eventually. But there's nothing I can do. Like if I stop paying my taxes, they come to my house and throw me in prison. And so you're right. The Democrats lose their mind about Goldman Sachs. Well, you know, who cares what Goldman Sachs is doing? If I don't like what they're doing, I won't invest with them or I'll take my money out if I did invest. But I can't do anything about the insanity that's happening at UNCW or UNC Chapel Hill or wherever that is. There's nothing I can do about that directly. There's no one to fire. There's no way I can invest or not invest. My money is going there whether I like it or not. And we've had Republicans in control of North Carolina for now, um, you know, eight years and not much has been done to stop this. So I'm not really sure if we can do anything. And yet no one seems to care about yet. And we still talk about Wall Street's golden parachutes. Oh, you're absolutely right. And my last point on this will be completely in agreement with you is that I think that you get these figurehead positions that are just that they're figureheads. I mean, is Margaret Spellings really working day in and day out like an entrepreneur would be like someone who is trying to hustle to run a Silicon Valley startup or any other small business where they're, where they're actually producing value. She goes to meetings, she has luncheons, she shows up to donor events. And I'm not saying she doesn't work, but I'm just saying, I doubt that she is having to live at the level of someone who is making far less money in the private sector. So why don't they do it? You know, here's my grand idea. I think they should take this million dollar package that they are offering the new interim, uh, Dr. Roper. They should cut that in half to 500,000. They should have you and I come run the system. We'll split that halves. No, totally. (laughs) You can even, even 60, 40 Tyler. That's fine with me. And see what we could do in one year. If in a year the UNC system is worse off, then we can maybe justify. Maybe we need to have more talented people spending more money. But let's see what half a million would get us for a year. What, what do you think? Well, I want to agree with the 60-40. I do have more college experience, so <laughs> I justified the 60-40 split. Hey, so. I did try to catch up with you, right? I do have the <laughs> – Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you got like another degree. That, that doesn't count. I was just there just <laughs> doing nothing. So just observing. I was observing and studying. So my extra two years were far more valuable because I wasn't bothered by doing actual schoolwork. Two? I thought you had like six extra years. Well, I think two more than you is what I'm saying. Oh, yes. No, yeah. you, you So do. it wasn't me like, you know, studying and I was like just doing nothing. I was observing everyone. That's what I was doing. I wasn't bothered by schoolwork. So my experience was far more valuable. 
Well, you, so you're well versed in the point I was making in that college is useless. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm, man. I am, I am a walking, talking example of the uselessness of college. <laughs> there goes the show name. It's uh, it's the useless college episode of Tavern Voices. I am your host, Kevin King, with my other host, Tyler Crowley. And uh, what do you say we do it next week, man? That sounds like a good well. Yeah, I'll get it in my schedule. I'll talk to my uh, secretary, see if she can get it in. Have your people call my people. Absolutely. 